Talk 1110-993 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show. This is hour number three. <clears throat> and uh, we've been talking about fascism and Italy. And no, David Gray doesn't sing about Italy in the song I learned today as well. So, um, oh, along those lines, yes. Uh, was, it, was it Falco that gave us the ode to potatoes? Rock Me Hot Potatoes? Wasn't that the song? Rock Me Hot Potatoes. They actually, there was, a, uh, there was a program when I was growing up which probably inspired my love of the spoken word format of radio was uh, a program on the uh, New York City public radio station. I think it was WNYC, and it was called Kids America. I think that was the name of it. At first, it was called Small Things Considered a play on the name of, you know, All Things Considered, the NPR show. Then they called it Small Things Considered, and then they, then they named it, like, Kids America or something. And it was an all-kids radio state, uh, show. Like, once a week, I think it was on Fridays or something, and so the kids would do parody songs and all that. And I thought they did one uh, to that saying to Rock Me Amadeus. That was the song, Rock Me Amadeus, not Rock Me Hot Potatoes. But... um they redid the lyrics to that. I think they, they did it as Salty Hot Potatoes. Salty Hot Potatoes. Something like that. It's where I first heard the song Peanut Butter and Jelly, PB&J. It's a great tune. Anyway, um, so we're talking about fascism because this is what the left wants to talk about. Media elections. Elections are about what media make them, right? And the media want you to believe that this election is about our democracy being lost to fascism. They don't know what these words mean, I have to believe, because they keep using these words in ways that are obviously incorrect to people who do know what the words mean. So, uh, the AmericanConservative.com has a piece by Rod Dreher, and uh, he, uh, this is a pretty, uh, it's very, very lengthy. I will give you a heads up. If you actually go look at this, um, if you go uh, find this, it's called uh, Meloni and Our Lying Media. It's at a website, TheAmericanConservative.com. It's like eight pages printed in small, t- uh, small fonts, okay? I'm going to give you just a couple of the highlights here, though. He says, for the hundredy hundredth time, let me say, the reporting of the U.S. media on the European right is not to be believed. It's not to be believed. He says, I don't say that as a right winger who gets his nose out of joint when CBS News calls a politician I like a fascist. I mean, I do get my nose out of joint, but that's my problem. It's your problem because you depend on the news media to tell you what's happening in the world. And they are entirely misleading you. You don't have to see this as a conspiracy. They lie to themselves about what's going on because they have been trained to disable their own skeptical instincts when it comes to maintaining the narrative. That is such a key piece of writing. People in the media, I, I, I always, like, I wrestle with this idea, and I just did it moments ago, right? Is it, is it that they're ignorant or they think you are? Is it incompetence or is it nefarious, right? Are they, are they trying to mislead or are they just misled themselves? And apparently, that seems to be more of the case. They have been trained. It's not that they were just misled. They've been trained, trained to disable skepticism to just turn that off 
this gets to another thing that I've said for years, which is, right, like I've made this joke about how when people become reporters, they get into the uh, the field of journalism and they will, they have to pick their superpower. And for some reason, they always pick their superpower as being they can divine the motivations of every single conservative and Republican. But the, but the trade-off there, because you have to have a, right, you got to have the kryptonite. And the kryptonite is they are unable to detect any of the political motivations uh, behind anything that the left does. Right. It's one or the other. Apparently, you can only have one or the other, which is why you get all of these pieces, uh, all of these articles and op eds and columns written about why Republicans are doing the things that they're doing, which, spoiler alert, it's always because they're terrible people. Right. And they can never figure out why on earth a Democrat might do something like propose a bill that's got a whole bunch of these poison pills in them in order to tank the, the, the effort. Right. They never, they can never discern the political motivations on uh, of people on the left. This gets to it. What Dreher is writing there is exactly on point. He says it is true that Georgia's uh, Georgia Meloni's party, the Brothers of Italy, does have roots in twentieth century fascism, but she herself is a standard right wing populist. How so? She's a social conservative. Particularly, she values religion, and she opposes gender ideology. And she is skeptical of political and economic globalism. And that's all it takes. right? That is all it takes for the American media to cast her as a neo-fascist of some kind. He says, later on, the only thing that would set her apart from a standard U.S. Republican is a more critical attitude towards capitalism. A more critical attitude towards capitalism. He goes on to say they hate Maloney because she takes a hard line on out of control immigration and because she believes in defending the traditional family, which entails rejecting transgender ideology. Later on, he says European Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen. Really? Her name is von der Leyen? A von der Leyen. Ursula von der Leyen. Maybe it's Leyen. Anyway, in her now infamous threat to Italian voters, she said the quiet part out loud that the EU had been pushing Hungary and Poland for voting for conservative governments, which Brussels disapproved. All this rule of law harassment against those countries has been a cover for raw political abuse. The assertion of EU hegemony over or hegemony rather over. I always read that uh, word wrong. Uh, because I, I start reading it, and I think hegemonic. Anyway, hegemony, um, hegemony, there you go. Over member states, which the EU doesn't approve of. Right? That's what this is about. You have the EU out of Belgium, Brussels, right? that's trying to force other countries to comply with its edicts. It's an assertion. This is, this is very much like a states' rights versus federal argument that America had, right? Except here you've got actual nations that have joined this confederation and some of them are like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not so cool with this ban on fertilizers. Like my people are starting to starve. I, th- I think I'm not going to follow that one. Okay. You should be aware of what a huge freaking deal uncontrolled migration into Italy is in that country, especially the crime that comes with it. Journalists committed to the whole diversity is our strength narrative. They either ignore the evidence or they judge Italians who resent what's happening to their country, they call them racists, who don't even deserve any respect because they're racist. 
But there are costs to this policy, and they've been dealing with it now for like seven years. It's been a huge problem. Why do you think the uh, COVID outbreak was so bad up in the northern part of Italy? Remember that? He then goes on to uh, cite at length, and this is like six of the pages of the piece. I'm not going to go into any of it except for one part, a guy named Mark Lilla. Mark Lilla, he is a lefty. He's a scholar at Columbia University, okay? And he talks about how he went over to France and he didn't read any American media. He just read French media. And he was shocked when he got back to America at the way the media distorts all stories through a prism of identity politics. And it's not happening over there. And the problem that people have over in Europe with what we are doing, we and Brussels, but what we are doing is that we used to be the last best hope, right? They could always count on America to be like, no, 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 we're not going along with that stuff. But now America is going along and not just going along is pushing it. This is going to be a big problem. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete of the show. Thanks for listening and hanging out. I do appreciate it. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I'll get to this piece. Uh, it's actually an exchange. He wrote a piece. A guy named Mark Lilla wrote a piece, and uh, then it got responded to, uh, and then they went back and forth in like a public way with like these letters to the editor and all this stuff. But the key point was that he went to France and lived there for like a year. And he did not consume American media. He just read French media. And then when he got back home, he was shocked at the way media covers every single story. This is an observation that I've made. I think I made it like a year ago. I was watching a particularly uh, a particular local uh, outlet, and I'm sitting there watching the newscast, and every single story is through the prism of identity politics. Every single one of them. No, there's there's nothing that's there's nothing that's just news for everybody. It's just the first this person to do that thing. Always. Okay, I kind of just went over the whole piece then. All right, let me go over here to Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the program. Hey there, Pete. Hey, what's up? Uh, what? Uh, pretty good. Um, wait till when Mark Robinson runs for governor, and hear that from the media that he is a closet white supremacist <laughs> yeah i'm sure well this is one of the arguments yes that he's that he's not going to be able to be accused of that but uh, directly because i think he, you know they're going to look absurd but they already drew him as a clansman right like, <laughs> I, I mean that's they don't even see it they don't even see that like they they called republicans clansmen because they objected to Critical race theory. That's how absurd the media is. And and the person who drew that cartoon, by the way, is on the payroll at WRAL, uh, Capital Broadcast Company. And the dude's an eighth grade history teacher who does the cartooning. Like, this is a guy who should know better. But, yeah, Jimmy, I, I appreciate the call. I think you're, yeah. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get away with that. I doubt it. I think maybe, well, and I don't know. See, I'm making this prediction here, and I have no idea. Because I would like to believe that 
there would be some level of intellectual restraint on dumbassery. But uh, I've been watching a lot of media, reading a lot of media for a very long time, so I'm not so sure that my expectations can be met. The real animating forces on the right, according to the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, um, the real animating forces, to Jimmy's point, right? White supremacy, hatred of the other, bigotry, an ideology of exclusion, right? All whipped up by the phantom of immigration. In other words, never mind all of the things that seem new. Forget the writings about family and sexuality. Forget all the talk about organic community. Forget the lashing out against neoliberalism and the tech giants. Forget Pope Francis. It all comes down to hatred. Any responsible discussion of the movement's new developments must begin and end there. Which, by the way, this is what they're going to go after. Then I, I, I Again, I don't expect them to go after Mark Robinson on... You know, he's a white supremacist. What they will go after him on is the LGBT issues. That's what they're going after him on. They already are. They already are. He's going around to these churches and he's saying these things. So that's that's going to be the pathway for attack for them. But this is Mark Lilla. He's a guy of the left. He's a he's a liberal. And he's talking about the animating forces, according to the left, when they do their stories and they're reporting on the right. They presume that the animating forces are white supremacy and bigotry. I've talked about this for years as well, right? This is the assumption of motive. They're always assuming that they know what is animating, what is motivating people on the right. And for the most part, it's not true, by the way. But this sentiment is so common on the left and not only in France and so fruitless for confronting the contemporary right in all its manifestations. Again, this guy is on the left and he sees the danger of the superheated right wing rhetoric and he sees the uh, the actual uh, xenophobic demagogues. Right. He understands that those people exist, but he says it's foolish to deny or minimize social realities that these xenophobes, these demagogues, exaggerate and exploit, right? And why would you ignore these things or minimize these, these real issues? In France, it's immigration and crime. Why would you minimize these real issues? Because you hope to, what, cut off the oxygen of the right-wingers, to cut off the demagogues' oxygen, starve them of attention? Equally foolish is an unwillingness to take up fundamental political questions like what is a nation? That's what they're that's what they're dealing with over there in Europe. They're asking these questions and the left, just like they do here, their response to these questions is shut up. That's the answer. People don't like that answer. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so the same shut-uppery, this tactic of shut-up, it's all over the place, right, on the left. This is their response to a lot of arguments. It's just shut-up. And this is what Mark Lilla, who is of the left, he's taking his own to task. That's what he's doing in, in this series of exchanges with these other progressives. And... He says that the sentiment is so common on the left and not only in France that 
you're not having these arguments with your right-wing opponents to immigration. And by refusing to acknowledge that these issues exist, it backfires. Because the people, they know these things exist. You're seeing it in America right now with our election coming up, right? People know inflation exists. People know we are in a recession, a transession. It's transflation, not inflation, right? But people know that it's costing more. My wife and I went food shopping last night. We usually go in and out, and, and our food shopping bill is somewhere about 100 to $125. That's what it used to be. Last night, it was over 200 bucks. We did not buy anything that we don't normally buy. That's what our, That has been the impact on our grocery bill, and that's just for, like, for this week's groceries to get us through the week, right? The average home is spending almost $500 more per month, I believe it was, for the same items that they bought last year at the same time. This is the, this is the real cost of our economic and monetary policy. Progressivism. That's, this is what it is. Jason Lewis talked about it uh, earlier today when he filled in for Vince Coakley. So you can't just ignore it. This is the advice that Lilla is giving his fellow uh, liberals. He's saying you can't just ignore it. These avoidance instincts must be resisted. If there's anything we've learned in recent decades, it's that closing our eyes or establishing taboos on what can and cannot be discussed or how always backfire. The left needs to present people with a fuller reality than the right presents, not an equally restricted one. For example, illegal immigration in France has in fact dropped since 2015, but the levels before then were already fueling anger and frustration since neither the French state nor the European Union had been able to master them. And unless you believe in open borders, citizens are perfectly right to expect that whatever level of legal immigration has been democratically decided, that that will be enforced, right? Why is there an expectation, this translates directly to America right now, why is there an expectation that we have all of these rules in place, but everybody sort of understands that we're not really going to enforce them? What does that then mean? This is a culture, I talked about this last week, a culture of criminality, of lawlessness. When people look around and see that breaking rules carries no punishment, what is my motivation then to not also break the rules when it suits me, right? And if you don't, this is the thing too, if if you look around, again, unless you believe in open borders, people are right to expect that whatever the level that has been democratically selected or decided, that that's going to be enforced. And if it's not, then the whole system looks illegitimate. Uncontrolled immigration, he says, along with economic globalization, are the major factors behind the growing distrust plaguing liberal democracies. It's not just bigotry, people. Sure, there's some bigotry. I will throw this in. Sure, sure. There are always some racists out there. Absolutely. There's bigotry. There's prejudice. The world is terrible. All right. Life is a race against death that we all lose, right? I'm sorry, I have a bit of a, I have a fatalistic view of these things, but this is life. Life is tough. Life is hard. It is painful. People suck. Like, this, these are general truisms. But that's not what animates everybody on the right. And if you are in the media biz and you think that's the case, you need to get out of the media biz because that's not what motivates people, not all people, on the right. Just like communism doesn't motivate all people on the left.
Uh, a lot of them, yes. But not all of them. Hashtag not all. The term immigration is really also just a euphemism in France for the Muslim population as a whole. See? And so xenophobes use this, and, and Islamophobes, right, people who hate Muslims and the religion, all that, right? People are able to use these examples and this anger against the democracy. See, again, this guy's of the left. He's telling you, you're ruining this yourselves. You guys are the problem. There are challenges in neighborhoods, in schools, in hospitals, in prisons. And those challenges contribute to demographic worries, which demagogues exploit, right? But if you label any discussion of these matters as racist, well, then you're making the demagogue's argument for them. You're helping them. So this guy's name is Rod Dreher, and he writes at uh, the, uh, was it, uh, theamericanconservative.com, sorry. And he says, Lilla is trying to shake his own side out of its self-induced blindness of the sort that looks at the right and sees only hatred. Lilla uh, calls this strategy fruitless for confronting the contemporary right because, as he correctly puts it, the concerns that give rise to the right are often real and are not being answered by the left, except to try to just shout down discussion by saying it's bigoted to even notice these things. If you say, hey, well, why are you, what are you talking about? There's a rising crime rate. What, what's up, racist? Right? This is not the way to have this sort of discussion. And people who see you have the discussion in that way, they know what you're doing. And you're not winning them over. Lilla knows what he's talking about. After Trump was elected in 2016, Lilla published an op-ed in the New York Times titled The End of Identity Liberalism. And he talked about the fixation on diversity in our schools and in the press. He says it produced a generation of liberals and progressives narcissistically unaware of conditions outside their self-defined groups. They are indifferent to the task of reaching out to Americans in every walk of life. And by the way, Rod Dreher, a conservative, he says there's a lot in that description that also can be applied to uh, to Trump supporters. It can. Narcissistically unaware of conditions outside their self-defined groups and indifferent to the task of reaching out to Americans in every walk of life. How are you getting more people onto your side? How are you getting, how are you convincing more people to agree with you, right? And look, limited government has always been a hard sell. It has, uh, unless you're automatically attracted to the idea of, you know, less rules, more freedom. You know, if that doesn't ring true for you, if you're like uh, automatically uh, the kind of person that defaults to, there ought to be a law. And I want to tell that person what kind of shrubs they can plant in their front yard under the hoa, right? Like, that's, it's a different mindset. How do you get those people on board? Lim- you know, limited government folks offer very limited things, right? <laughs> they vote for me. I'm going to do nothing for you, right? How do you win them over? And Dreher points out, he makes this connection to Trump because a lot of people like David Brooks like, why, why is there no strategy to, defi- to defeat Donald Trump? And he says the answer is that to build a political movement capable of decisively defeating Trump requires abandoning left-wing identity politics. The polit- this is, he's answering David Brooks's question. The political and ideo- ideological left 
cannot allow itself to think that it has gone too far with race and sexuality and identity politics, because on the left, there are no limits. That's why there's no strategy for them to defeat Donald Trump, right? Now, there are also people that are Trump supporters that kind of have this same sort of uh, glitch, if you will. For example, people, when he went to this recent conference, the NatCon 3 conference, he said, Everybody he talked to thought Ron DeSantis ought to be the GOP nominee in 2024. He stands for most of the things Trump does, right? But he doesn't have all the, the personal drama, and he has governing competence, and he, has, he can be elected, right? He is electable. But nobody believes that DeSantis could beat Trump in a primary. Why? I'll tell you why in a minute. All right, so Rod Dreher at TheAmericanConservative.com, headline, Maloney and our lying media. He talks about narcissistically unaware people who are, uh, uh, well, they are narcissistically unaware of conditions outside their self-defined groups, right? And this is why I ask, like, how are you going to persuade people? Which, by the way, just not for nothing, that's why I go in-depth on these topics the way I do, is I'm trying to arm people with information. I understand that people aren't going to remember all of this stuff. I don't remember all of this stuff. I read a lot of this stuff as I'm going through, and then I'll forget a lot of this. This is why I keep kind of coming back to different topics and stuff. But it's to give people some things to think about so we are all better prepared when we walk towards the fight. It's one of Ben Shapiro's... um, pieces of advice that he gave to college kids. You know, if you are in the arena, if you decide this is what you are going to do, then you walk towards the fight. But you better be armed for the fight. Rhetorically speaking, this is the debate. It's the great debate. That's what I'm in this for. And I want as many allies on my side as I can, I guess as opposed to the allies on the other side, although that might be helpful too. Those would be like spies maybe. Anyway, so... This guy Dreher talks about when he went to the NatCon 3 conference in in Miami and he was talking to people and he said, everybody said, Ron DeSantis, yay, Ron DeSantis, we like him. He should be our nominee in 2024 because he stands for the things Trump stands for. He doesn't have the personal drama. He's got real governing competence. And all of this makes him electable. But nobody believes that DeSantis can beat Trump in a primary. Why? Because Trump has such a grip on the passions of the Republican base. He concludes by saying if these mega true believers actually wanted to change things in this country, they would thank Trump for his service and move on to DeSantis, who would stand a good chance of succeeding where Trump failed. But for them, it's a closed feedback loop. Same as on the left. They have pledged themselves internally to a narrative that they cannot violate. Put another way, These orthodox partisans of both left and right have come to treat politics like religion. He then uh, references uh, the historian Hannah Arendt, uh, who said, A polity that has given up on wanting to find the truth, preferring instead to have its ideological views confirmed by the media, is a polity that is ripe for totalitarianism. So yes, this is a problem for us on the right, he says. But because... All of our institutions, especially the news and entertainment media, are solidly controlled by the left. This is a much bigger problem for all of us. For all of us. There is a difference of proportionality, right? 
the left controls so much of the institution, so much of the culture, right, that the right, and, and I was reading a piece earlier, I did not print it or, or do it, maybe I'll get to it tomorrow, I think it was by uh, Michael Anton at uh, American Greatness, and he, he's, he was talking about how the right always prides itself on policing its own. For years, conservatives were like, we police our own, like the whole like the John Birch Society high watermark where Buckley was like, you're out, right? Like, this is the thing. We police our own. And the left doesn't do that. They don't care. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. They don't police their own. I mean, I was as shocked as you when Al Franken went down, right? That was the, that, that was the high watermark. One guy who, you know, had, had taken pictures of himself uh, grabbing a woman's chest. Like, that's... That was the self-policing. <laughs> that was the high watermark. He says, what I do not understand about the American news media is why the people who run it don't understand that they're destroying their own brand by this idiotic, ideologically determined coverage. It's going down to the na- from the national to the local as well. Whenever it has to do with culture issues, contemporary journalism is more about constructing and reinforcing a progressive narrative than dealing with actual facts. There was a journalism professor back in 2011. His name was Terry Mattingly. I uh, used to bat for the Yankees, I believe. First base, maybe? No, that was Don. Anyway, Terry Mattingly called this kind of thing, this kind of uh, contemporary journalism, where you construct and reinforce a progressive narrative on cultural issues. Right? He, the, this uh, journalism professor called it Kellerism. Why Kellerism? He named it after the the retired executive editor of the New York Times, a fellow by the name of Bill Keller. Bill Keller said that the New York Times tries to play it straight in its reporting, except when it comes to cultural issues, in which case it reflects back to its progressive urban readership what that readership believes. Kellerism. Now, Given that the Italian election is turning on crime and immigration, much like our elections here are, and to a lesser extent, sexual identity politics, you should be aware that the news media are going full Keller in their reporting. Same as in Italy. Same as in Hungary. Same here. All right, that's a wrap. Appreciate you hanging out. Thanks so much. We will see you tomorrow. Stick around. Brett Winterbull is coming up next. Don't break anything while I'm gone.